All right, listeners, I'm here today. This is Ashley Grigsby with Dr. Heather Mustin, who is a second-year pulmonary fellow at Riley Hospital for Children. Welcome. Hi, guys. We're so glad she's here today. We're actually in our awesome new recording studio, Child Life, so we'll send pictures on Twitter. Make sure you look. I think we're going to talk today about something that's super rare. <laughs> yes, really rare. rare. I've only seen a couple cases in my life. <laughs> Asthma. <laughs> Also, they probably shouldn't have let you and I do a podcast. <laughs> probably either. not. It's going to be full of sarcasm, but that's okay. <laughs> so we are going to talk about asthma, which I'm sure is near and dear to your heart. Yes. It's the most, or it's the most common chronic pulmonary problem in children, actually probably in the world. I think I looked it up this morning. There's like over 300 million people worldwide with asthma. It's a lot. It is a lot. I think, like I said, I've only seen a couple of cases. So Here and there. It's whatever, we'll see it. So who <laughs> gets asthma? There is no rhyme or reason overall for who gets asthma. If you have a, his a family history of asthma, that increases your risk. If you have eczema, that increases your risk. If you have allergies, that increases your risk. But there's no one test that says whether you for sure have asthma overall right off the bat. All right. What about, how do you like diagnose asthma? How do you say, yep, that's asthma? In children and in infants, that's kind of the bane of our existence, about a third to a half of infants will have wheezing with viral illnesses, and only 10 to 15% of those infants will actually develop asthma later on. And there's nothing to tell us when they're infants that they'll develop asthma as children. But when they're old enough to do pulmonary function tests, if you do a pulmonary function test that shows obstruction, you give albuterol and that gets better. That kind of goes along with it, along with clinical symptoms. So cough, wheezing, shortness of breath during the day, at night, that improves with albuterol. If you give them a course of steroids or start them on an inhaler and that helps, those all kind of go along with a diagnosis, diagnosis of asthma. I hate pulmonary function tests. So can you make it very simple for me? What does a pulmonary, what do I see on pulmonary function testing that says you have asthma? So the, the most common thing you're going to see is that flow volume loop. So that's kind of the thing that is the first graph you see. And you'll have, you know, your X and your Y axis. What's above the X axis is what you look at. And so what you want to see is whether that curve looks like a nice triangle, then that's not so consistent with a really bad obstruction at that time. But if it's nice and concave, so if it kind of scoops down, that's what we're looking for. Okay, we'll try and put a picture of those on our Twitter. It's kind of hard to explain. We'll put it on our Twitter yeah. because I don't even understand it, but I think <laughs> I see what you're saying. But I should be able to recognize that probably. Yes. For boards. Okay. What other, the boards want us to know kind of a differential for the nocturnal cough. Asthma can be a, a differential on there. Reflux is a big one, especially for nocturnal cough. Um, just because you're laying flat, you reflux, it irritates your upper airway, and you cough a lot. Aspiration, I don't know if that's necessarily nocturnal, but that's another thing for chronic cough. Protracted bacterial bronchitis, but that's a wet-sounding cough every single day no matter what, which isn't like 100% like an asthma thing, but those are kind of the top four on my differential for chronic cough. Reflux would probably be the most one where I'm like, uh, if it's like at night. Okay. Now, what is like the normal history of an asthmatic? So it can really vary, but typically it's wheezing or having shortness of breath either exacerbated by if they have an allergy to something that causes them different scents like smoke, anything that irritates the airways. If they're exposed to that, they start coughing a lot. You give albuterol, that helps it. That kind of goes along with it a little bit. 
exercise is another one that can cause you to have shortness of breath and kind of have that bronchoconstriction of your bronchi when you're running around. We should talk about that real fast yeah. since you talked about yeah. it. Uh, what is like the most, like how do these people present who have exercise-induced asthma? So they start coughing pretty much right off the bat, like within a few minutes of exercise typically. Um, and if you would give albuterol 15 to 20 minutes beforehand and then they go run around, that usually helps. So if they still have coughing, shortness of breath, or chest tightness, um, and albuterol doesn't seem to help a whole lot, vocal cord dysfunction is something else to think about, or just deconditioning in general. Okay, I really like how you put uh, air quotes around chest tightness, which no one at home can see that, but I saw it and it was awesome. Because that's what they always say, and I'm like, you are not a 57-year-old man having a heart attack. Right. You don't have chest tightness, but so that's they, fine. They usually say it, especially, they'll say it for the, on the right side, I feel like, too, so it makes you feel better. They're not, a having, kid, an they're not having a heart they're attack. They're not having a heart attack. That's just your ER. You know, I know. They're not having an MI. It's fine. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about the classification of asthma. Yes. Which, of course, I never remember, and I have a little chart at my clinic desk. Yes. But you should always have the chart with you. I still have the chart with me trying to classify. There's two overall kind of classifications. It's intermittent and persistent. That's the first thing you want to figure out. Intermittent is you have a symptom every once in a while, you give albuterol, it's better, it doesn't cause any like daily life impairment. Okay, so less than twice a week? Less no. than twice a week. And no nighttime symptoms. Right, exactly. Okay. Intermittent. And it doesn't interfere with normal activity. These kids are might be wheezing, but running around, keeping up with kids, not having a problem. Those are intermittent. If a child is on a con inhaled corticosteroid, they're persistent of some sort. So that's kind of an easy way to also differentiate overall. Okay. So then you have mild persistent. So that's a couple, two to three days, maybe a week of symptoms during the daytime. They can have one to two nighttime symptoms. So that's cough, wheezing, shortness of breath that causes you to wake up at night. They can have one to two of those a month. It can cause some minimal impairment in terms of daily life activities and running around. And you can use your albuterol. You want to use your albuterol as needed, but it can be a, a few times a week of albuterol is more consistent with mild persistent asthma. And once you become mild persistent, you need an inhaled corticosteroid. Corticosteroid. Yeah, it's indicated. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Then there's the next one. The moderate, moderate persistent. That's where you're having daily symptoms, typically. Your nighttime awakenings are three to four times a month. You're having to use your albuterol daily or almost daily. Um, and then there's some limitation in terms of activities. So what do you use to treat mild, moderate persistence? So you can go up on your steroid dose, or you can add in a combination. So you have your inhaled corticosteroid in those inhalers, and then a long-acting beta agonist. So it's like a long-acting albuterol. Okay. We never use long-acting beta agonists without an inhaled steroid. There was a black box warning. Because increase their mortality. Mortality. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly. And what about leukotriene inhibitors? You can start monoleucast on patients typically, but those are ones with more allergy symptoms. It's really bad in the fall or the spring. They're already on Claritin and Flonase to kind of help with that, and they're still having issues. That's when I think about adding singular or monoleucast to the regimen. Okay. And then severe persistence. So severe persistence, you're having symptoms throughout the day. You're having at least once a week of waking up at night, if not more than that. You're using your albuterol several times a day and your activity is extremely limited and that's when you're going up and up and up on treatments um, trying to control their asthma so what I mean by that is increasing your steroid dose to max adding a LABA 
adding monolucas and if you get if you get to that point that's when I start to think about maybe seeing an allergist or something for even more intense to figure therapies. out like why you're not controlled right exactly because okay. you can do allergy testing if you have a really high serum IgE level um, if you have eosinophils in your blood and if you have skin testing that's positive we would consider Zolair or omelizumab. I oh, like to yeah. say yeah. Zolair because that's it's really easier. hard to say. Yeah. I know. So it's a, that Although, sounds like one of those fancy <laughs> I have no financial disclosures for Zolair. <laughs> so, it's a, so it's a monoclonal antibody. It's one of those abs yeah. that we learned yep. in med school. That and I so it attaches remember. to the IgE. Oh. So what it does is it brings... So IgE is what uh, the, the, the antibody that really reacts to allergens. And so if you can decrease that, you decrease your risk of causing an asthma attack or an asthma flare because your serum IgE levels come down. And the receptors in your lungs, I don't know exactly how it works, but that also comes down. So it all makes it better. Cool. Uh, now, we know the classification. I feel like a lot of us, especially primary care, emergency, urgent care, we see in hospital, we see the acute exacerbation. Mm -hmm. So can we talk like a little bit about an acute exacerbation management? Yeah. Obviously, you want to make sure they're not hypoxic. That's something that I always worry about. What we usually do is we start three back-to-back duonebs, which... Um, Albuterol and ipitropine. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what's that second one? <laughs> so that just helps. You know, they're coming in, their bronchi or their airways are really constricted. That Those three back-to-backs really hits it hard to try to dilate, or uh, bronchodilate those bronchi again. Uh, we'll give oral steroids. Those take 12 to 24 hours to kick in though. If they're not really responding to three back-to-back duonebs and they need them every two or three hours, that's why we admit because the steroids will help but it can take some time overall. And then what about like magnesium and terbutaline? Yeah, so those are, so magnesium typically will we'll do if they're not requi- if they're still requiring albuterol, like continuous albuterol. So if you do those three back-to-backs, you take them off, they're hypoxic, increased work of breathing, you can't hear breath sounds, you'll start them on continuous albuterol. If they're not looking so great, then we think about magnesium. I've never really seen terbutaline, but I know terbutaline can be used. And then aminophilin or theophylline type of things, but those are also a lot more rare overall too. Yeah. More your severe. You want to do everything kind of you can to not intubate an asthmatic. Don't intubate them. Unless the you absolutely thing. have to. And then think about it. <laughs> Are you sure you have to? Try one more time. Because a lot of those kids code when they get intubated. Yeah, they're very sick. Very yes. Sick. Yes. Okay, cool. Now, do you ever use inhaled steroids in acute exacerbation? I always feel like this is the topic. So, it depends. It depends on how severe. If they're in the ER and they're needing three back-to-backs, not necessarily. If they're still at home and doing okay, making their Q4s, some people will double up their inhaled steroids. There's been a few studies, I can't remember the exact details, but where you give you know, two puffs twice a day, every day to normal, you can get four puffs twice a day, every day for a few days to see if that's enough to calm kids down that may or may not need to go to the ER, but if they're clearly needing three back-to-backs, they need to go to the ER and probably get oral steroids, not the inhaled steroids. What kind of uh, what kind of things when you see someone in your clinic make you concerned they're at increased risk of hospitalization from their asthma? So previous hospitalization, I think, is the one thing. Some of the kids are fine, 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 and then something kicks off their asthma and they get really sick really fast. So those are the kids you want to keep a closer eye on to try to control them 
they're a little bit hard. It's hard to tell which kids are going to be sick. Unless they've been sick before. Yes. It's very hard. Or if they're on really high, you know, inhaled steroids and in LABA, so they're on the highest dose Advair or something. Those Uh kids I watch a little bit more closely or if they're on multiple different things. Um, So our high-risk asthma clinic that we have here is really helpful because they try to help out to kind of decrease the factor so the home life, any allergens or molds or dust in the home, all of that can kind of contribute and increase your risk for asthma attacks overall. Don't uh, stop taking your meds. Don't stop them. How about, what if you're taking your albuterol every day, BID, like your budesonide, which you're supposed to, which I feel like everyone's doing. It makes me crazy. I'm like, oh, they're like, Without oh. symptoms? They're like, I take this one <laughs> twice a day, every day. I'm like, that's your albuterol. They're like, yeah, I know. And I take this one as needed. That's your Q-bar. But that's fine. People get really confused. So that's why the asthma so action plan is Great. really helpful. Um, so that's a write it out for them. Exactly. And then we have pictures in our clinic of, so it's really nice because it's like, do you take your yellow inhaler or your orange inhaler? I know, it's so nice that they did that and they've (laughs) color-coded all I know, because families will be like, no, no, I do this. You know, I take my purple inhaler as needed. That's Advair, by the way. That's not how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Purple should be every single day, no matter what. Yeah, that's great. That's a good way to think about it. The colors. I like that. What do you, now I feel like I learned this in medical school and I've never seen it in practice. Do you do the um, peak flow? No. No. no I know, right? Flows. Who's doing it? It's this? actually coming. Is that in the boards stuff? Well, it's part of the thing. So peak, the reason we don't like peak expiratory flows is because it's very effort dependent. Yeah. So if a kid is not trying the exact same amount every, every single time. time, which is impossible, by the way, even in adults, it's no. impossible. The variation on your forced expiratory flow in one second, so FEV1 is what we look at. That can vary 10% between tests, like just sitting there doing them over and over and over again. So, I mean, that's helpful just to see the curve and everything, but peak expiratory flows are even more variable. Got it. So So no peak expiratory flows. We don't like them. The boards do want us to know this random thing. I don't know if it's, I don't know, but how do you decide when an asthmatic has pneumonia versus atelectasis on an acute exacerbation? So it can be hard. So uh, some asthmatics can call or can get what we call like the right middle lobe syndrome. The branch off for the right middle lobe is just kind of an acute little angle and it's kind of one of the smaller main bronchi. When you have an asthma attack, you get bronchoconstricted, you're all inflamed, you're swollen. So all of that mucus and stuff really can't get out of the right middle lobe and it can look like a pneumonia on chest x-ray. If they are afebrile and they look really well, I usually don't get super excited to treat a pneumonia right off the bat. You can always start it afterward if they look worse. They get a good, and I'm talking like a fever of like 103, 104, like this 101 virally thing. I don't know. It's, it's kind of up in the air. But especially if it's that right middle lobe, I tend to hold off a little bit more. Okay. And the parabronchial cuffing is not pneumonia. It is not pneumonia, correct. Don't or if they're like perihilar streakiness, that's all kind of going along with the asthma attack, not necessarily a pneumonia. I can't remember the last time I actually gave antibiotics for an acute asthma attack. I know, I haven't done it yeah. in a really long time. Yeah, but I feel like outside hospitals that deal with adults a lot, they'll see that and they'll be like, oh, that's not, and it's not because their airways are so much bigger they're less likely to kind of have those findings on chest x-ray. More the kiddos. Yes. You mean they're not just little adults? They are not oh little my adults. Gosh, as much crazy. as we want them to be. I know. Sometimes <laughs> they are. But. And the other thing is, this is kind of going back to acute. We're kind of bouncing around just because. 
but hypercapnia and asthma, good or bad? Bad. Bad, okay. And what does it mean exactly? So that means, so you breathe in oxygen, you breathe out carbon dioxide. When you're getting hypercapnia or increased carbon dioxide in your blood, what's happening is your airway is so constricted that the gas exchange is not occurring like it normally would. So that's kind of impending respiratory failure too. So that, that is the stuff that we really worry about. So get on the ball. Get on the ball. Start on continuous. Continuous. Mag. Steroids, mag. Steroids. Kind of go from there. I don't know who's checking BBGs though on these asthma. Maybe not, not a lot. Usually. They have so to look they pretty have horrible. Altered mental status or they're really hypoxic. Those so usually you typically you get more hypercapnic before you get hypoxic. So if they're really hypoxic, then I worry a little bit more. Alright, we're gonna end with a little asthma. Let's say asthma look-alike. Yeah. Okay. Patient is wheezing kind of only in one spot, maybe one side. You give them albuterol, it doesn't get better. X-ray is done. And they're like only three years side. old. And they're like three years old. <laughs> and X-ray is done and maybe shows a little, what's the word, a uh, shift, mediastinal shift. So with a three-year-old and unilateral wheezing, something I always worry about is foreign body aspiration. So what can happen is they'll aspirate. It can go into one or the other main stem bronchi. Typically the right side, if you look at like historically for your boards, but I've seen it on both sides. And what you'll see is actually, sometimes you'll see hyperinflation on the side that they aspirated it on because air can get through, but it can't get out. So it's like trapped. Yeah, it's like a ball valve effect. And so as the air is going through that, you can hear wheezing on that side. So typically the wheezing is on the side where the foreign body is. And how you get the shift is it just, it actually shifts the opposite way. So it would, if you have a right-sided foreign body, typically you'll have shift to the left, or the mediastinal shift will be to the left. The opposite of the foreign body. Yeah. Yeah. So not all that wheezes is asthma. Correct. I think I learned that like 8,000 times. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right, well, actually, I think we hit all the stuff, which I feel like was really easy because you're, like, on it. It's super common. Yeah, we do see it a lot. Yeah. See it all the time. Okay, so everyone, learn your asthma. Yes, and as a primary care physician, if you're on a decent dose of an inhaled corticosteroid or you're not comfortable at any time, we are happy to take care of these kids in the pulmonary clinic. And some of these kids, even the high-risk asthma clinic, like, they're on injected steroids and things so there are other things that we can do for the really high risk kids which is kind of cool but yeah. out of the scope maybe the for scope a of primary general care. pediatrician awesome well thanks so much for coming <laughs> no problem